Good morning. Good morning. And if you want to, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Um, that's where we're going to camp out today. Uh, we're going to kind of the land in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Uh, before we dive in there, though, I just want to say uh, I'm really thankful. I hope this goes without saying, but I will never stop saying it. I'm just thankful when I get to, to stand before the people I love, uh, the people that God has called me to teach and, and do life with and, and, and stand and just and teach and dive into God's Word. Um, last week, I wasn't able to be here. Um, about eight weeks a year, I'm on call, and generally speaking, for my uh, for the, the specific kind of job I do, uh, I'm not going to be here eight eight to ten weeks a year just uh, by happenstance. So we plan accordingly, and, and Jamin's always always primary teacher on that Sunday, and um, and I, I love the way that we do church here at Trinity Church, mostly because it, it's lead by committee. Yes, uh, on paper. I'm our lead pastor, but by and large, we just all hands on deck. We all uh, gather together. I know that without question, um, we're not going to miss a beat, and that Jamin's going to profess truth. I know that you're going to hear a worship band whose heart is turned towards the gospel of Christ, and I don't have to worry about that. But it doesn't mean I don't miss being here. Uh, I'm a routine guy. I, I like um, the, the, the seasons and the rhythms we get into, and my whole week is usually a, is, is kind of off. This, it's just this awkward stumbling. If I don't get to start with the people I love, I don't get to be in this room and sing uh, to God with, with the brothers and sisters of Christ that I've come to love and adore. Um, so uh, I'm just thankful uh, for this church, but I'm also just thankful for the opportunity I get to, to dive into God's Word, and, and that's where we're going to be today. Um, we need to listen quickly because I have two sermons today. I know a lot of you are freaking out. We're still going to meet our time. We're not going to let the kids take over. Um, uh, but we have two sermons, and I'll tell you this: I've been teaching uh, for the for the really the larger point the, the entire adult life. I've been teaching. I started teaching God's Word around age twenty one, um, and and it's been beautiful. And God's called me to that. God started a fire in my heart for that uh, in college, and, and and I've had the opportunity just to see and let the Spirit take that where God's will has led. Um, and I teach a lot, whether it be biblically. Or, or uh, where it'd be like in my secular job where I just teach. And so teaching and speaking uh, in front of people, public speaking, does not generally get me nervous. It doesn't get me the butterflies anymore. Now it's more just routine and happenstance. But I'll be honest with you, uh, I'm genuinely nervous right now. I'm genuinely un uneasy right now because as a pastor uh, who loves his church and loves his city, so I'm a pastor in the city of Dallas that is wailing with hurt. We are on the brink of, of just catacly like just diversity just com we're completely divided we are uh, at odds with each other more than I've ever seen it in my lifetime so I, I look at the lens of, of this city and the people I love through the lens of, of a pastor and it's not lost on me or I don't know it's not lost on you that I'm also a police officer in this city and uh, those two things are in, in opposition sometimes and they shouldn't be but they are and the reason that I am nervous right now is because if I did not speak into where Dallas is as a city right now, you should fire me. Like if I'm going to say I'm a pastor of this city, I want to be about this city, I want this city to come to know Christ, I want this city to, to be gospel-centered, and I want a, a reconciliation through this city. But then I let uh, the last week go by and I just jump into Hebrews and never talk about it, then you should meet together and find someone who actually means what they say. Because this city has never needed the church, and this city has never needed Christ more than they need it right now. And I know we can look back um, 
and times and different eras and different generations. But I think for the men and women in this room, in our generation, in our lifetime, this city needs the church more than it's ever needed. So if you've been living under a rock or you don't know what I'm talking about, this city just walked through a trial um, that kept, that has everyone at odds, right? There, there is complete separation on where we are on both sides of it. And I'm not here to speak about that politically. I, I don't care how you vote and I don't care what side of that aisle you find yourself on. My only job is to speak biblical truth. So one of the things that took me completely, um, uh, just floored me today, this week, was uh, a moment at the end. So, so a man was slain in his apartment, and there was a trial, uh, and, and the person who did the slaying was convicted of murder and sentenced. And that all part, I, that may that may set you all off in different ways, but I'm not here to talk about that. Um, I'm here to talk about what happened afterwards. Um, so I have the opportunity in my career that I have seen quite a bit uh, of victim impact statements, and they are generally visceral. Like this is a time in our in our uh, our court system where if if the person who is alleged to commit a crime is found guilty, then the person who was offended or the person's family who was offended gets this time on the stand and it's on the record where they get to unleash. It's it's completely cathartic. That's the only thing. The the person's already been convicted. The sentence has already been handed down. There's nothing uh, judicial about this as far as how the the defendant is. This is purely a cathartic moment for the family. And I'll be honest with you, um, I've seen a lot of them, and they generally always go south. Um, because the emotions are, are real, and, and they're fresh, and they're raw. They just walk through court. So it, it, it's just this, I mean, it, it, they're hard to sit through. There have been times that I just had to like, go to a better place because of how hard some of these are to watch. And I was watching it live this week when, when Bottom Jean's brother got up, and I was, I was bracing for it because um, I was like, this is going to go, this is gonna go where, where it would be reasonable to go. This is going to get visceral. This is going to get angry, and this is going to be the righteous indignation. And just the gut punch that I think everyone felt, right? Like the, 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 it broke social media. You couldn't find anyone not talking about the fact that in a moment where this 18-year-old, I would say kid, but he's a man of God, and you prove that uh, on, on national television, uh, when he said, uh, I, I don't want bad things for you. I want you to find Christ. And he didn't just say it, he meant it, because he then had to ask the judge. And he didn't just ask the judge, he begged the judge. Like, the judge was like, this is going weird, and I've not been here before. He's like, I want a hugger. And I was like, I, that, that flew me even more. Now we're in uncharted territory upon uncharted territory when you have this person professing forgiveness. When, when hatred is reasonable, he's professing forgiveness. He's showing the entire world what it's like to be Christ-like in a moment where nobody is liking this. And this can mean multiple things to different people. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that when he hugged her, it, it, it somehow made up for all the injustice that's ever been done. And I'm not saying that we should put a scab on the festering wound that is racial reconciliation. That's not what I'm saying. Racism is real. Systematic racism is real. Uh, Gospel-centered uh, uh, reconciliation is under the umbrella of racial reconciliation. And we cannot do one without the other. The church has gotten lost a long time ago where we thought we could do one without the other. But you will not reconcile to your brother until there is racial reconciliation. And I'm not saying with one fatal hug, all, he, he made everything go away and now we can just have this fake harmony and we can walk lock and step together because he hugged. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in a moment where hatred was reasonable, love shined through and he showed what it was to be a child of God. And here's how I know. Because if Satan gets on Twitter, he generally loves what he sees. He loves the fact that no matter what I say, it's going to make somebody hate me. 
He loves the fact that if you say one thing, I hate the other. Satan loves social media because it's dividing and killing us. It's dividing the nation, it's dividing our city, and it's dividing the church of God. And Satan loves it. And for that one day, Satan had to have hated social media. Because he turned it upside down. Not because he was professing anything other than just what he felt as a Christian. He said, I know I should hate you. I know I should want you to rot in jail. I don't. I'm hugging you. And I'm out. He didn't want to start a revolution. He, he just professed truth. And I know for a lot of people that hurt. For both sides. Saying, what are you doing? We have this guilty person on the ropes. Well, yeah, that's how forgiveness works. That's how grace works. And again, I'm not saying that now we've, we've healed this wound. It's not. It's clearly not. This wound is as big as it's ever been. But in a moment where you had complete, reasonable anger, you had forgiveness and love. Amen. And I'm a big proponent that if you're going to fall on, like, look what he did, then you have to fall on what the mom did. The mom, the mom said some really true things as far as there's work need to be done. And if you think this hug did all that work, you're wrong. But it is a moment of grace in a time where this city needs it. This city has never needed the church more. We don't stand up and profess truth out of the Bible because we want you to have really robust conversations at coffee houses. We talk about the Bible and the truths that lie inside of it because this city without the Bible will fall into ruin. This city without the church being love, being compassion, being truth will die. We are on a tipping point. And there is no way back outside of Christ. If you think that you're going to find your hope and, and your joy and your trust in a government that is run by broken people, I promise you as someone who works for that government, we will let you down. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we will fail you. Because we are broken. We are broken people policing broken people. We are broken people governing broken people. There's no scenario that we're ever going to be the hope that Christ is because Christ is the only place you're going to find it. And that's one of the things that was reminding me today because I am as guilty as everyone else when I was watching that computer screen. I was just mad and I didn't even know why. I had no clue why I was mad. I just knew I was mad. I think overall, I'm not trying to get politically overall, like I didn't have a good reason to be mad other than the fact that I was just mad. I'm, I'm really, really uh, in a weird spot here. I get that. In the past, I, there's a lot of things. I know you look me through certain lenses, but I was just mad. And what he did is reminded me that I have to fall back on Christ. I have to be rooted and anchored in Christ's truth. It doesn't mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that life's going to be um, smooth, but it means that you will be anchored to truth. And ironically, that's where we're going to find ourselves today. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 2, knew that we have to be anchored because we will drift and the storms will kill us if we are not anchored in truth. We're going we're gonna to kind of surmise the last four weeks with just the supremacy of Christ, right? That's all the writer of Hebrews wants us to know is that Christ is supreme. And he doesn't want us just to know that so we can answer a test in Sunday school. He wants us to know that because you can't be anchored in Christ until you realize Christ is your Savior and he's all you will ever need. And if you lose sight of that, you can't be anchored in truth. Because if what angers you, what angers you is not solid, it's not an anchor, it's a hindrance. If what angers you is not true, then it's just something that's going to set you up for a bigger failure than you could have ever imagined. Today we're going to talk about what it's like to neglect our salvation and what causes us to drift. We're going to talk about how there's consequences to that neglect, how we have to intentionally live out our gospel-centered life or we will never actually get it. It's a moment-by-moment, hour-by-hour intentionality of saying, I'm going to live the gospel of Christ. And we're going to talk about how that intentional living will anchor us to the truth. I'm already amped. I'm already teary. 
we haven't even started reading out loud. I can't promise you anything other than I'm going to I'm gonna ugly cry in front of you. That's going to happen. And you're used to it. And then I yell at you because I love you. All right, if you would stand. We're going to read uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. There should be Bibles all around you. Also be up behind. I'm going to read out loud and pray over us. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us. God, I pray for the city of Dallas. We are on we're on display for the for the nation and for the world of what a a city can be defined for. And it's not looking good. God, I pray um, that all of our anxiety, all of our anger, all of our our turmoil, all of our hatred can be released to you knowing that you are a good father. God, we have work to do, and I'm not making light of that, but that work can't be done outside of the church professing truth and being the hands and the feet. You, the church is the working agent of your will, not the government, the church. God, I pray for the next few minutes that your people, your church may dive in to the truth, that we may pull out the truth, that we may live those truths. And they may anchor us and our souls to you. I pray all things in your name. Amen. All right, so let's dive in. Um, I'm going to try to talk quick. So, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. So, the, the writer of Hebrews is a pastor. And I know that because there's a... Uh, yeah, we're just going to have to... You have to trust me. We're going to get there. Uh, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is, is a pastor. I know that because he says, pay attention. Um, you can tell there's this anxiety, there's this desire, there's this yearning for the people he's teaching to know the truth that he, he, he gets will save their soul. He's saying, hey, you are, you are a, a, a Hebrew, an Israeli congregation, and I need you to know the truth that will set your soul free. I need you to know the truth that will anchor your soul to the Messiah so your sins will be forgiven. I need you to pay attention to this. I know that because it's the same reason I yell to you. I yell to you, not because I'm mad at you, because I need you to know the truth that God has put on my heart. We must pay closer attention to what we've heard. We have heard the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ that this congregation heard is the same gospel of Christ that the Trinity Church in 2019 has heard. And that is the beautiful thing about the gospel. It does not change. It is, it is right and it is true. Because if we, if we don't pay attention, lest we drift away from it. The drifting away, and we're going to close on that, is the scariest thing that can happen to a Christian. It's the scariest thing that can happen to a person or a church. Is that slow, subtle drift. For since the message declared by angels provided to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received is, is, is just tribulation. So what this writer is saying is, every message declared by angels, which is the Mosaic Law, all the Old Testament law proved to be reliable, and every wrong had a, 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 a retribution. So he's saying, the law that you followed pre-Christ coming to this earth, the law that you followed was right and true. It, 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 Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He's saying, if you adhere to what, what the angel said the law, 
then how much more true is it the, the gospel of grace? So he follows in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So if we neglect what Christ came to do, how are we going to escape? And the short answer is we're not. He's saying, if the law is true, how much more true is the gospel of Christ? Because the gospel of Christ was first uh, uh, declared by the Lord. It was attested to those who heard it. So the Lord declared it. It was attested to by the apostles and, and the followers and disciples of Christ. And then it bore witness by signs, wonders, and various miracles. And, and signs, wonders, and various miracles in this section isn't different things. He's saying that we don't serve a God who likes parlor tricks. We don't serve a God uh, who just does big things because he likes theatrical displays. That's not the God we serve. We serve a God who understands that seeing is believing in a lot of people. And he showed the disciples and he showed the apostles what he was about. He did not walk on water because he wanted to amaze them and give them something to tell their kids. He walked on water because he needed them to see that in the midst of a storm, our Savior is not going to just coach us to the side. He's going to walk in the middle of that storm, come beside us, and walk the storm out with us. He not just walk on water because it'd be cool. He needed them to know that he controlled the water, the weather, and he controls their future. We, we serve a God who did beautiful things. He didn't rock, raise Lazarus from the dead because Lazarus was his best friend and he just didn't want him to die. He needed his followers to understand he controlled life and death. He did these beautiful things because he was attesting the gospel of Christ. He was saying, yes, the law was true, but I fulfilled that law and now there's the law of grace and that is true and here's the wonders that I'm doing. The writer of Hebrews is saying, I need you to understand both are true. One is complete and one is incomplete. The Old Testament was good and incomplete. The New Testament is good and complete. Christ has died once and for all. And we have to anchor ourselves to the cross of Christ lest we drift away. And the drift is scary. Lest we drift away. Because if you're drifting, you're not anchored. And what's scary about the drift is it's slow. It's subtle. The drift can hurt you in all manners of life. It can destroy who you are. It can destroy your marriage. It can destroy your family. It can destroy your church. It can destroy your walk with Christ. And it's the scariest way Satan gets at us. A lot of us in this room have professed, professed Christ as king. And, and Satan knows that once we are secure in our salvation with Christ, he can never take that away. So what he can do is use you to stumble for someone else. Or he can use you to mislead your family. He can use you to mislead your marriage. Because he can get you slowly but surely away from the truth. Most, most people don't rebuke Christ and run from the church. Most people just go from four Sundays a month to three. And that one week that off from the church was really cool. But you know what's better than one week off from the church? Two. And now we're going to be half the time in this church. And that's what's good, and it's, it's faithful. People won't notice if you go to a big enough church. You may, they may not even know you're missing. And, and there's just this slow, steady drift. And we drift for really two reasons. And those two reasons are really the same thing, but under different subsections. It, there's time, and there's busyness. So we drift because time, uh, it, it marches on. It, it, it's a killer. And I know a lot of you saying, like, what does that mean? So in, in my life, what I've seen, the most detrimental to someone's life is the inability to realize that, that service to God's will is a marathon, not a sprint. And you get amped up, and you get psyched up, and there's this emotional uh, this purge of just like, I love what I'm doing, I love what I'm doing, I love what I'm doing. But how time works is, no matter how great this Sunday is, starting about tomorrow night, we're planning for next Sunday. 
And that can, that can beat you down over time. There can be this chasm between the emotional roller coaster of the good and the bad and the good and the bad and, and the real endurance. And endurance is absolutely a spiritual gift is you being able just to, to kind of not flatline but just negotiate the, the, the valleys and, and, and the peaks. Because time is what Satan uses to pull you from something you believe and he doesn't even have to get you to rebuke salvation or rebuke the gospel of Christ. He just needs you to neglect it. He needs you to say, it's good and it's great, but i got a lot going on, and uh, I poured all of this into this one event or this one ministry, but now I'm going to take the rest of it off. And I'm going to do what, what we call just the roller coaster of, I'm all in, I'm all in, you won't see me for a month. I'm all in, I'm all in, and you won't see me for a month. And that's the drift. That's what happens when you neglect the truth of Christ. But we see that in all walks of life. How many of us has done that in our workout? How many of January 1, it is, yes, six-pack by March, and then it's like, I'll, I'll run once, and then it's like, next January, I got you. How many of y'all have made uh, journals? Journaling, I like journal. I journal a lot. Uh, we spend a lot of money in moleskins, um, but they can be depressing because if you go to the beginning of each moleskin, it kind of looks like the other moleskin and the other moleskin, and you're like... Man, I'm, I'm, I'm not as dedicated to this as I thought I was. I have all these ideas and these grandeurs, and just slowly through the, the weeks and the months and the years, it just becomes this numbness where you're like, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't negotiate the beating or the tide of time. And then Satan also throws in busyness. Where, and I'm not saying busiest, busyness in the way of task. A lot of us are task-oriented and we can handle them. I'm talking about the white noise where we can drift because there's this chasm of time, we have this whole life ahead of us that we need to serve God, and then we just get this white noise, and we get all this stuff thrown at us, and it may not even be bad things. I've said to you before that Satan doesn't have to get you hooked on heroin, he has to get you a promotion and watch you destroy yourself. He doesn't have to get you... Um, uh, uh, addicted to alcohol, addicted to pornography. He may, and that may be where you're at right now. I'm not negating that or making light of that. But he also can just say, you know what? Take a Sabbath once a month from church that you haven't earned. Just, just, just you have some you time. Teach your kids that you don't have to be there all the time. Teach your kids that the routine and, and, and consistency and the cause of Christ and the service of the church isn't really that important as long as you get there most of the time. He can, he can formulate ways that you can talk yourself into drifting and still thinking you're doing kingdom work. He can talk you in to, to, to digging, your own, uh, digging your own grave for the cause of Christ because all he has to do is kind of slowly augment you. All he has to do is kind of get you off because that's what a drift is. A drift isn't a paradigm shift. It's just slowly but surely getting you off course. And if you know anything about a boat or nautical stuff, which I know nothing but I married into a nautical family, and all it takes is a small shift and it can get you a continent away of where you need to be. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves. One day we wake up and we have no clue how we got here. And even scarier, we're not sure how to get back. And what I'm here to tell you is all of that can be negated by an anchor. You can't drift if you're anchored. You cannot drift if you're anchored in Christ. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean life's going to be peaceful. Because you can absolutely weather a storm with an anchor, but it's not going to be pretty. I've, anchored, I've weathered some storms with you. I know there are people in this room that are anchored, and it doesn't mean they didn't take a beating during a storm. It means they didn't go off course. It means that the ship didn't sink. That they didn't capsize. They didn't, they didn't find or lose their way and not have a clue where they're at. It means that they may have cried themselves to sleep every night, but they did it anchored to Christ. And that's 
what it is to be a follower of Christ. They say, like, come hell or high water, I'm following you. Become the mountains or the valleys, I'm following you. And if I anchor myself in that truth, it doesn't matter what Satan throws on us. It doesn't matter if the city around us is about to burn because I'm anchored in Christ. And that anchor is a, is, is, is a catch, is, is something that people notice. If you are anchored and you are not drifting, that is something that is contagious to your friends and your church and your family to say, I don't actually know how they're doing what they're doing, but I want what they have. I want, I want to see, I want, I want a life where I'm not drifting. I want a life where the, the storm can't topple me. I want to be anchored because they are anchored. That is what this city needs. That is what this church needs. That's what everyone under the sound of my voice needs. We have to be anchored to the cross of Christ. The storm's going to come. The storm may be here for us. I'm going to end how I started. This city is hurting. And again, my biggest fear is that I would say something to offend somebody, and so the rest of the thing I say, you just kind of in one ear, out the other. Um, because I, I know I hold a lot of different positions, and I wear a lot of hats, but you need to know the position that I will stand uh, in front of God for um, the most will be a professor of the gospel of Christ. Like, I will, I will answer on how I, I love my wife. I will answer how I raise my kids. But I will absolutely stand for account of how I lead these people, the, the people that I love, the people that I, I'm doing life with. I will stand and have to attest of how I spoke to you and what I spoke to you about. And again, I'm not big into engaging in a pop culture. Like, I don't, I don't want us to be trendy. I'm not trendy. I'm really... Not that cool. Do not let the, the clear glasses fool you. This was just one of the cheaper versions at Warby Parker. Um, but I will always engage brokenness with truth. I will always step into space, and it is hard. You need to know that I was like looking in the mirror outside in the bathroom that doesn't work, um, and just saying, like, just don't throw up on yourself. Um, because I'm aware of the brokenness. I got a front row seat to the brokenness, and it is bad, and it is hard. Uh, I've been on call for the last 10 days because the, most of the people in this city thought it was going to burn, and I'm not sure we're out of the woods yet. But I know there is peace coming, and I know that there is love coming because I know I serve a God who has a plan, and I know his plan will be enacted through the church. So I want to pray over us. We're going to sing one more time. And I pray that no matter what you do, no matter what you post, no matter what you say, that it is through the lens uh, of, of the gospel of Christ. And, and you can't be wrong. You can't be wrong as every time you post something, every time you say something, every time you do something, you say, am I doing this for the glory of God through the cause of Christ? God, thank you for today. Thank you for the men and women that, that call Trinity Church their home. God, I pray. Uh, for gospel wisdom and, and, and godly leadership. I, I pray that uh, the people in this room would be emboldened with truth to speak into the brokenness of society and that we may help heal. I pray that all that we do is for your will and for your glory. Amen.